We need to be aligned on our profit goals with all our employees if we want to be successful. And having the employees understand the financial statements of the organization is key in that. We work very hard to manufacture, innovate, sell products, and we make a return on those sales. But the margins are slim. We work very hard for every dollar we bring to the bottom line. Whereas the dollar you save is a dollar of profit on the bottom line. And once employees understand this concept and you empower them to find those opportunities, Brad Ham says we have dollars laying all around us. But the people who are in a position to pick them up, once you educate the employees on that and the benefit of, of focus on profitability and how we can drive profitability, then you give them a profit sharing incentive plan. And uh, at Seal Shield, our employees get up to 20% of our profit based on achievement of our goals. Last year, our employees made the most money they've ever made. Uh, they got three months of extra compensation through the profit sharing plan. And in fact, back in July of this year, they got the largest checks they've ever gotten. Uh, through the profit sharing plan. And the result is that they become very engaged in increasing the profit. Hello and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isar and my guest today is Brad Wichert, the amazing CEO of SealShield. And today we are going to talk about how to get a complete buy-in from all your employees, yes, all of them, on company culture and company goals and how to get an organization that really pushes and works together to drive more success through ownership thinking. Growing a business is tough. Believe me, I know. I'm a serial entrepreneur with three startups behind me. One went public, the second busted because of bad decisions by the CEO. That was me, by the way. And the third grew to $100 million in sales as part of a larger company that got sold. It took me 20 years to learn how to do it right, but now I'm on a quest to get you there much faster. I'm hosting senior business leaders, entrepreneurs, and world-class experts. Together, we search for gold, strategies, systems, processes, and practical tips that you can implement to grow your business. You will hear fascinating business stories, really funny moments, and lots of actionable business tips. Welcome to the Business Growth Accelerator. Hello and welcome back to the Business Growth Accelerator. This is Isar, your host, and I am truly, truly excited and humbled with the conversation we're going to have today. My guest today is Brad Whitchurch. Brad is the CEO and the chairman and the founder of Seal Shield, and they're an infection control company. And I know some of you may think, oh, you know, it's a global pandemic. A lot of people started infection control companies, but Brad actually started his infection control company 15 years ago. And he did that because he's on a mission to try to reduce the amount of diseases and infections that people contract going to medical facilities and hospitals, literally just saving lives. So that by itself is worthy of conversation, but our conversation today is not going to be about infection control, and it's not going to be about medical facilities, and it's not even going to be about the global pandemic. The other thing that Brad did incredibly well, incredibly well that got me really, really excited is the culture that he was able to create for his company. And specifically within that culture, they have what they call ownership thinking, which really blew me away when I had that conversation with Brad. And hence, I'm truly excited and honored to bring him here today so he can share the step-by-step, kind of like the blueprint of what they've done within SealShield so you can do something similar to help your company grow in the same way. And so Brad, Welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us at the Business Growth Accelerator today. 
Well, thank you, Asar. It's great to be on your show. So, Brad, before we dive into company culture and ownership thinking, tell me a little bit about your professional background. Like, what did you do? And I know it's a while ago because you've been in Seal Shield for 15 years, but what did you do before Seal Shield? My whole career, I've been in IT sales and marketing. I've worked for various distributors and manufacturers of technology products over the years. I've owned my own manufacturer's rep firm, selling technology products into big box retail, government installations. And now with SealShield, we are uh, exclusively focused on the healthcare market. So ownership thinking. You know, I, I heard the phrase before, I've never dove as deep into it as I'm going to do with you. But let's take it back to people who don't know anything about it. What was the first time you encountered ownership thinking and how it impacted the things you did moving forward? Yeah, so I belong to a peer mentoring group called Vistage, where I meet with a, a dozen other CEOs and business owners in the local community, and we do peer mentoring, and we get some really great guest speakers. And uh, a number of years ago, one of those guest speakers was Brad Hams. And he's written the book, Ownership Thinking, which our program is based on. And uh, I actually hired Brad Hams to come and work with Seal Shield and help us develop our ownership thinking platform about a decade ago. And the, the origins of ownership thinking that, that Brad writes about in his book is Brad Hams was hired by Mrs. Fields, the cookie company. Okay. When they went public, they outsourced uh, their manufacturing to Mexico and uh, things started going badly and they were losing a lot of money and they were having problems on the production line. And they hired Brad to go to Mexico to be the international president and to, to try and fix the issues that they were having. And so Brad and in his investigations in speaking with the line workers at the factories in, in Mexico found that there was just a huge disconnect between alignment of the actual workers and the goals, the financial goals of management. And he theorized that if he could help the employees understand uh, and align them with the profit goals, that they would be able to make a direct impact on that. And uh, he theorized that he could teach the factory line workers basic financial statements, which he did, and give them a profit sharing incentive, which he did, and then have regular transparent updates so that they're aware of the success of the company, which had a direct impact on their individual success. And the results were astounding. And as a result, Brad wrote this book, Ownership Thinking, and he said, look, if I can do it in Mexico in a factory, you can do it in your business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are a little skeptical of the concept, but once you've implemented it with the success that, that we have at Seal Shield and continue to evolve it over the years, I can tell you that we're all drinking the Kool-Aid. It, it really works and for a lot of reasons that we can dive into. First of all, I think it's fascinating. I think, I think the leap of faith you need to take in order to do something like this, especially with company, you know, factory workers, not in the same country, not in the same location, takes huge, like I said, leap of faith from management. But you said benefits of you implementing it that you're seeing in your company. Can you share some of the benefits that you're seeing from doing this? I absolutely can. And there's a, there's a lot of factors to ownership thinking. You know, uh, it, it really requires you to have the very best people and retain the best people. And we have a lot of programs to do that. But at the heart of ownership thinking, it's, uh, it's based on that companies are in the business of profit. And we need to be aligned on our profit goals with all our employees if we want to be successful. And having the employees understand the financial statements of the organization 
is key in that. We work very hard to manufacture, innovate, sell products, and we make a return on those sales. But the margins are slim. We work very hard for every dollar we bring to the bottom line. Whereas the dollar you save is a dollar of profit on the bottom line. And once employees understand this concept and you empower them to find those opportunities, Brad Ham says we have dollars laying all around us, but the people who are in a position to pick them up have to be of their value. And so you, once you educate the employees on that and the benefit of, of focus on profitability and how we can drive profitability, then you give them a profit sharing incentive plan. And uh, at Seal Shield, our employees get up to 20% of our profit based on achievement of our goals. Last year, our employees made the most money they've ever made. Uh, they got three months of extra compensation through the profit sharing plan. And in fact, back in July of this year, they got the largest checks they've ever gotten uh, through the profit sharing plan. And the result is that they become very engaged in increasing the profit. And so, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs look at it and say, I'm not giving up 20% of my profits. Well, if you can increase your profits 25 or 30, or as we did 50, 60%, then you can then you're drinking the Kool-Aid. And so we at Seal Shield have a weekly all call, we call it, where everyone in the company joins the meeting, either in our office or virtually for our employees around the world. And we have open book financials every week. And we go through the scorecard, how we're doing as a company, and then monthly we translate that into the bonus calculation, which is always a very exciting meeting to have. So uh, you have to have full transparency, you have to have the incentive. And then at Seal Shield, we've taken it a step farther. Every employee at Seal Shield is an actual at Seal Shield. Every employee has equity options in the company. So we're all fully aligned. We're all in the same boat. If it's good for one of us, it's good for all of us. Um, and for really to take advantage of it, as I said, you have to have the best people. So we are obsessed uh, with attracting and retaining the best people. And one of the things I love to do as part of that. Is, is look at benefits packages. And every year I get on the internet and I go and see what all of the best companies uh, in the country are doing in terms of benefits and we match it or we top it. And so we have just a, a world-class benefits program. At the heart of it, we have zero out-of-pocket healthcare insurance. We pay 100% of the premium and 100% of the deductible for all employees. We maximize out uh, the HSA program, which is a tax-free investment vehicle. And then we also train our employees every year on how you become an HSA millionaire and the time value of money, much like with the 401k program, which of course we also have. But unlike a lot of companies, we don't do a match, but we do a 4% contribution. So everybody's getting an extra 4% into their 401k. We're reminding them and training them every year how you become a 401k millionaire. And then we're encouraging them to make additional contributions. But we want to make sure that everybody is participating. And when people know that you're concerned about um, your profitability and their well-being, we're all aligned in our goals. And, and really, that's where the magic happens. People collaborate and work together, not just to accomplish the job to get the paycheck, but because they don't want to let down their peers and, and they want to influence the profit goals to which we're all aligned. And I don't have to micromanage anyone in this company. They're completely empowered because they know what they need to do and we're aligned in our goals. Fascinating. Uh, one quick follow-up question. Are you hiring? No. <laughs> <laughs> we are aggressively hiring, actually. It's our, no. We really are. And it's actually a, an interesting point, though, because the labor market is extremely tight right now. Yes. And a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners are having a hard time finding really good people. 
And uh, because we have these programs, we are the most attractive. We were just recognized as one of the best places to work in Central Florida, an honor which we've received each of the last 10 years. We take great pride in that. We take great pride in being a best place to work and attracting the best people and, and making them happy and productive. Phenomenal. I want to take it a step back, actually, instead of a step forward. And before we dive into all the things you mentioned, which I find fascinating, right? Open books, how you educate people, how to read statements. And, and again, I have a lot of follow-up questions on that. But before we go there, I want to take it a level higher. Because ownership thinking, just a part of your overall company culture and, and, and the way you approach things. And I know you have your, you know, your, your ICEO kind of like vision that you're looking at. And we'd love to hear about that. And then we can kind of figure out how the ownership culture is really that one building block out of a broader thing so people can understand how it fits into the rest of the things you're doing. Absolutely. Well, it starts with a strong mission. And all of our employees are inspired by a strong mission. Our mission is fairly simple. It's to prevent infections and save lives. And we do that through technology and data management. And we're all united and very passionate about that mission. We feel like we're doing something important. That helps. So we're all united by a common mission. And then you mentioned our value statement. Our values are the acronym ICEO. And that's not by accident because everyone in the company is empowered to be the CEO. They all are empowered to do the right things for the company. And the acronym ICEO stands for Integrity, Customer Obsession, Employee Empowerment, and Ownership Thinking. And uh, it's really about that we em em empower our employees through ownership thinking to deliver the best solutions to our customers with the highest level of integrity. And, you know, that's our value statement. And we actually apply our, our value and our vision statement to everything we do. So we don't, the first step in our product development process, which is called V2Mom, is the vision. So if, if, our, if we're going into a product development project, the very first thing we look at it and we say, does it support our values and our visions? Because if it doesn't support our vision for, to prevent infections and save lives, and it doesn't fall within our values, we're not going to spend another minute talking about it and going through the development process. So it really oversees everything we do at Seal Shield, uh, our culture driven by our values and vision. Fascinating. I, okay. So you said you, I want to, again, make this more practical. You said you empower people to make executive decisions. I love examples because then people can say, oh, okay, now I understand what this means. Can you give me examples of what kind of decisions, significant decisions employees actually make on the day-to-day -day or on every quarter or whatever? Sure. Well, we're a very desegregated company. We're very fortunate, as I said, to have some really great people and I have great confidence in them. We have specialists in our field. And when you give them the empowerment to do uh, what they can do and rise to their highest level, it's amazing to see what happens. And I mean, just in the sales force, you know, our salespeople are making significant business decisions every day. They are negotiating their own deals. They know the guidelines, they know the profit objective, and they're not out there just trying to, you know, get the lowest, get the deal done, even at the lowest price. They're very conscious of what our requirements are, the profitability that they have to drive, and they're well-skilled at doing that. That's just on the sales side. And we bring that to every department. And really, it's, again, just about getting the best people investing in their development and training. So, you know, they have to be well-educated and well-informed with the roles of their job. And then if they're aligned with the goals of the company, they will succeed. So in order to make sure that people 
know what they're doing and have all the skills and the tools that they require, we have a development program for the employees and we've gamified it. So we have a scorecard and we have a seal shield store where people can earn points and go get seal shield swag from the store. And it's a competition and we have fun with it. But within the development program, we have a, a project man sheet set up. And in your department, whatever department that may be, there are things that you're required to know. There are education modules you need to take, whether it's the software that you're using, maybe it's best practices for how your job is done. There's requirements in each department. You can check those off as you accomplish those, those tasks, and then you get scored for them in the personal development. In addition to that, you are encouraged to do additional development on your own. And people recommend podcasts or books or things that they found uh, to be beneficial. And you can participate in those events. You get points in the scorecard and you can go buy really cool Seal Shield swag. And so when you have your people who are the highest level people, they have the highest level education and training and they are aligned in your profit goals, that's where the magic happens. They make the choices and they do it for the benefit of themselves, but for the benefit of all of us, who we all genuinely care about ourselves. That's where the magic happens. Brilliant. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm a huge believer in that, you know, the, the people around you, the talent around you is what makes or breaks a company, right? You can pivot 50 times to find the right business model and the right customers and the right fit and the right whatever, if you have the right people, but not the other way around. Like if you have the right target and market and product, but the wrong people, it's not going to make any difference. And you will definitely won't be able to pivot once you do. So I'm 100% aligned exactly. with what you're saying. It's all about the people, Isar. You got, you got it. It's, you can sum it all up in that it's all about the people. So let's dive in now back to ownership thinking. You said that the first thing is educating them on financial statements. Do you actually like give them a mini course on how to read financial statements? Like, How does it work? What's the level of detail you actually share on those weekly meetings? We do. So our CFO annually does the training around the accounting statements. Actually, when you get hired as part of your hiring process, you get a one-on-one -on -one training on the financial statements. And then we do an annual review for all the employees. But more importantly, weekly, when we have that, we try to keep people engaged on Zoom and we do some quizzes and we throw out some financial scenarios, you know, and it, and everyone in the company knows that for every dollar we sell, and it's tough to sell a dollar, we put 25 cents on the bottom line. And if we're at goal, they get 20% of that 25 cents, which is five cents. But for every dollar they save, they get 20% of that dollar. And, that, and, tw and that's 20 cents that goes into their ownership thinking pool. And so they're getting four to five times more on every dollar saved, which it's, it can be easier to save dollars sometimes uh, up to a point. And so we encourage people, and this is part of the ownership thinking program, to identify those opportunities for savings. And there's a component called a RIP. And a RIP is a rapid improvement program. And anyone in the company, and everyone does this, puts forth a RIP suggestion. They see that, hey, we're spending too much on subscription services, or you know, we could save some money if we changed our freight carriers. Or, and uh, depending on your department, you're the closest to the opportunities. You are the ones who see these opportunities for savings. You put forth a RIP and then people from other depart departments join your RIP team and you set a goal. We're going to you know, address the uh, cost of freight and we're going to save, and this is an actual RIP. We had a, a RIP that saved us $200,000 last year on shipping costs. $200,000. They said, look, this is out of control. We can do better. 
They took control of it. And then that goes to the bottom line and it's shared in the profit sharing pool with all the employees. And you know, that's probably the, the highest return rip we've gotten, but we have regular $5,000, $10,000 rips. And when they achieve their goal, the team gets some sort of prize. We either give them points into the Seal Shield store or they might get a gift card or a pizza party. So you set up the goal, you set up the award. And then the real award is that they save a bunch of money. It all goes straight to the bottom line and they share in those profits. So first of all, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I want to ask you again about the practicality of this. So is there specific timeframes as you ask people to suggest them? Do people suggest them ongoing as they encounter stuff? And then the follow-up question is, you said something about teams. How are these structured? Who are in those teams? And what time slots do they get to actually work on that? Because it's people who have another day job, right? They do something else. So can you walk me through the practicality of how you implement that? Because I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. Most of the rips are generated from the team. Someone sees an opportunity and they say, I want to put forth a rip. And, and then we're encouraged to bring in other team members from other departments. So if the rip comes from the engineering department, then we, ideally we have someone from sales, someone from accounting, you know, a diverse group to attack that, that challenge. And uh, the vast majority of them are initiated without prompting from within the company. At the same time, management and our strategic planning sessions, we may come up with something or have an idea and say, you know, what do we do with this? Let's propose a rip and we'll throw it out and someone will volunteer to take it. We don't do it. You know, the, the team decides who's going to do it. People volunteer. We set the goal. We set the award. And then we all participate in the profits. And how much time do they invest into these? Like, do you carve out time of their day jobs to actually yep. get together, do these so we have a Every rip has a scorecard and a time frame. So there's a time frame, there's a goal, there's an award. So they may, and each rip is different, but they're usually uh, focused timeframes, typically 90 days. Some may go a little longer, but typically it's a 90 day challenge for them to convert this opportunity into bottom line profits. And they're usually based around savings initiatives to, to drive the bottom line profits, but not always. And in fact, the employee development program that I mentioned to you, that came out of a rip that someone said, you know what, let's gamify this thing. You know, we want to all focus on our personal development. Let's make it a challenge. And that was a rip. That was one of the rare rips that isn't directly bottom line influenced, but obviously great benefit to the organization. And, and that's something that we're really proud of. Who, who votes on what rips actually happen or every suggestion actually becomes a program? Yeah. So anyone can suggest a rip and then they have to fill a team to accomplish it. So there's no rips that are rejected, you know, so if someone sees an opportunity, they're going to put that rip out and it's, it's a good idea. They already know that there's an opportunity there and other people want to participate in that. Okay. So, so we got the practicality of the rips. We got the practicality of, of the financial reviews. How detailed are the financial reviews? Do you actually share everything? I assume you don't share salaries with everybody, or maybe you do. I'm, I'm now asking. Yeah, that's actually a great question. And that is where we draw a line. We don't share personal compensation information because that's personal. And there's not always direct parallels between departments and positions. And, you know, unless you have really a global view of that, the information can be, you know, deceptive, I guess I would yeah. say. Yeah. And, it, you know, that's people's personal information. But in terms of all of the numbers for the company, we do share all of that. Now, we, we present every year the annual financial statement. We get audited financial statements, all employees as owners, 
get the actual copy of the audited financial statements and they have been trained on how to review those. But typically in our weekly and monthly financial reviews, we're breaking down that data. So the CFO and the controller um, take turns on giving these presentations and they will dissect the data, but it's all verbatim and actual. There's no, you know, phantom shares and fudged numbers. It's the, you know, there's no buffer. Or any, it's the actual raw data, but we do break it down um, into uh, more digestible bites on a weekly basis. Okay. How long does it take every week? So every week we have an hour and a half call and that's a piece of it. So I would say that the weekly uh, reviews, we don't spend more than maybe 15 or 20 minutes on the financial piece. And uh, we have uh, other things that we're doing, other best practices we're presenting, departments are presenting. So we have a lot of activities that happen in those weekly meetings. But then monthly, uh, it's all about the financials. So we review monthly the, the final month numbers, how it affects the ownership thinking bonus plan. And that could be a 45-minute presentation. And we really do a deep dive. And, and then at, sometimes the CFO will choose a particular focus item. Like this past week, it was liquidity. And we take this for granted when you're in management. But you know, people don't understand like, hey, we have these bank credits. We have these accounts receivable coming in. We have this much cash. Here's what it's looked like over time. Here's how strong a position we are in for investment. So we want to go hire more people. We want to invest more in R&D. We have those discussions on a regular basis. And that's actually the, the exact discussion we just had on uh, Tuesday's call, looking at the liquidity and talking about the investments we can make with, with our capital. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think the fact you get to that level of conversation, strategic company thinking with every employee in the company is absolutely amazing. And it does, it does something in addition to, to the immediate impact in the company is you, you build the future generation of entrepreneurs, right? Because the level of knowledge and understanding they have in what it takes to really run a business, to grow a business, to think strategically is not just education that's going to help SealShield. It's going to help the US. And if you want to go broader, the global economy because these people at a certain point will go and start their own businesses or be in other businesses in leadership positions where they have way more knowledge than the average employee coming out of their positions in the current company. So I think it's absolutely amazing. I want to ask a follow-up question about the bonuses. Are these divided equally pro rata per person? Like how does it work? So there's, there's a 20% bucket that comes, I assume, out of net profits, but how is that divided between the different people? The way we do it is based on your pro rata share of payroll from your base salary. And so that allows that. And, and by the way, I, I don't participate in the program. So I, I'm not skewing the numbers and I'm not included in that. But, you know, the executive level people that have a higher compensation are getting a higher portion of that pool. But and it's distributed out based on your pro rata salary. Interesting. OK, so. I want to kind of do a quick overview of the whole thing because I think it's, it's and then you tell me if I missed anything. So you take 20% of net profits, you divide that according to the employees, according to their current base salary. So it, let's say everybody gets a 10% bump to their annual salary. That's what everybody's going to get. If somebody makes 100,000, they're going to make $10,000. If somebody makes 50, they're going to make five. So that I get. You do a weekly review in which you actually show people what's the current status, quick and dirty, but a very accurate review of where you are. And once a month, you open the books and you discuss strategy and company financials with everybody. And in parallel, the driver for people to be even more, because you, know, you, you give them the carrot, right? <laughs> the incentive is there. But in order to 
enable that to work even better, you created a culture in which people raise their hand and say, hey, I think I have a way I, we can create more money. I want this guy and this guy and this guy to help me in the project. And you guys will help him run forward with that so everybody can benefit. Is that... You've, you've got the gist of it. I, I would say the one thing I would add to, to cautious entrepreneurs who may be watching this is that the bonus percentage is tied to performance. So we have our goals set every year. We have, a court, we have an annual goal and a quarterly goal, and uh, we have different buckets. So it starts out at 10%, then to 15%. And once we're overachieving our goal, then it's 20%. And uh, we've been fortunate the last couple of years that we've been just blowing out the goals. And so everybody's at the highest bucket level. And then for entrepreneurs who are cautious about this, the way we distribute the money is it's, it's measured monthly with our monthly meeting, and then it's distributed quarterly. And what we do is we take the entire quarter bonus pool and we distribute half of it. And the other half gets banked to the end of the year. So that if the, so, so you can't game the system, right? Yeah, if, yeah, the, yeah, if, yeah. The, if the train falls off the tracks, it, you know, with there's so once you've gotten paid that first half, that's your money, it's in your pocket, and then you have that same amount banked to the end of the year. Now, that's worked out really well the last couple of years because people end up at the end of the year getting their biggest paycheck of the year. That's a nice little holiday bonus, I could tell you. And it, so that works well. But there is that safeguard in there for cautious entrepreneurs that, hey, they have to stay on track to continue to be taking the, the share of the profits. And there is a correction mechanism so that if something changes, you have that, that whole back amount. Like I said, we've been very fortunate that that turns into a, a really sweet end of the year bonus check. Nice. I, you answered one of my questions that I actually wanted to ask. Like, What happens if after six months, something goes south? But my second half of the question is, you said, you said hitting the goals. I assume you meant company goals. Do you also have a mechanism that looks at personal goals and then adjusts according to, okay, you were supposed to hit as a person, this, this, and that marks. You didn't, you only hit 60% of it. So you're not getting the full bonus. It's not tied into the profit sharing plan. We do have individual MBOs, management by objectives, but the profit sharing plan is 100% profit driven. So everybody shares in that equally and they all are putting forth the rips to increase that pool. We're all driving towards that number. However, on a personal development basis, and this is kind of interesting too, Isar, I came out of a, a big company background and I'll be honest with you, I hated getting my uh, annual reviews. And it was always a battle. And in the big company, you know, because obviously I'm fantastic, right? How could I be anything less than a 10, right? Don't you, you know, you always feel that way. Like, what, what are you talking about? And in the big companies also, some big companies, the one I worked for, they could only give out so many grades in each column, right? You can't have all 10. So there was always this pressure to like, find the guy I can call an eight or a seven. And I just hated it. And so when I started Seal Shield. We didn't have any reviews. I very much had this philosophy that, look, especially coming from the sales side, I don't want to distract the employees with something that's not productive for them. You know, I, I want to empower them to do what's, what's right. And, and, and I don't need to distract them with the scorecard that I think is, is not necessarily relevant. Interestingly, the overwhelming feedback from people was they wanted feedback. They wanted some type of review system. And so coming with my filter we were really able to create a review system that I think is a great review system because it eliminates all that stuff and your, your, your raise isn't tied to it. And when you've created this culture of growth and development, it becomes like a coaching mechanism. And we've taken it so far that this past year, we've implemented what we call 360 reviews. 
right? So the, the employees are reviewing their managers. We're reviewing the employees because it's all about individual growth and development for the better part of the company. And, and by the way, just coming back to the growth and development piece, because it, it's so, so key here. I told you we, we had the growth and development rip that created the scorecard, but we take it a lot farther. We have an education reimbursement program. We're involved in, in paying for several employees college right now through that reimbursement program. If you get a BF, we're paying the bill. And, you know, it's those things that make the individuals better, that really tie them to the company emotionally. And you talked about creating the next generation of entrepreneurs. I have to say, Isar, at this point in my career, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's the thing that gets me juiced. And there's a lot of things that we've accomplished at Seal Shield that I'm really proud of. But when I look at some of the people that have been with me for a long time and see their growth and development over time, I've got people that they were just kids 15 years ago, and now they're running stuff and doing it well, doing it better than I ever could have. That is the Kool-Aid. When you start experiencing that SR, when it starts happening because other people want it to happen and they're more skilled or they have new ideas and you can just sit back and watch the magic, that's what really drives me at this point in my career. I love it. And I, and I, I totally relate to what you're saying. You know, I had more than a few employees who left the company that I was running previously. We were a very large company. People leave. And, you know, in the beginning, when good people leave, you're like, it's like, a, you know, it's like somebody hits you in the gut. Or I, yeah. I raised you. But then you go and see what they're doing in other places and you literally feel proud. You feel as if your kid just did something amazing and he's doing it. Like you're saying, they're doing it better than you could have. And like, this is so amazing. Like I had whatever, 5% contribution to that, right? To this yeah. person being successful right now. But I had that 5%. And, and I totally agree with what you're saying. There's, I don't think there's a lot of things that can give you more personal satisfaction than seeing somebody that you help mentored become successful in something. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's within your company or outside of your company. So I, I can- 100% agree. agree. Last thing I'm going to ask you before we finish. If I want to get started, I'm now I'm an entrepreneur. I have a company. I have employees. I haven't done this. So you said you started 10 years ago, which means the company was running for five years. What were the first steps that you took, or now you probably know better, what are the first steps somebody needs to take in order to put this in place in a way that will A, be successful, and B, that obviously will help it be successful, is get the buy-in from the employees, management, leadership, board, if you have a board. So how do you, how do you put it together to begin with? Well, we did get buy-in from our board, which was the harder piece for us at the time, because you know a lot of people are hesitant. This is, a, at the time, certainly a new idea that's now gaining a lot of vogue. But the first step for sure is to pick up a copy of Brad Ham's book, Ownership Thinking. It's a good read. He really makes it, it shows you why this is beneficial. It's not 100% altruistic. That's the benefit of it. It, it is a better profit model. And, and one of the things I love, one of the taglines is Brad talks about sharing the insomnia, right? As entrepreneurs, we're trying to juggle so much. We can't sleep at night because we have so many. And when you open up your world and let people in and give them the tools they need, the education they need, the incentive, the, the powerful mission, then, you know, that's where it all begins to take, take shape. You share the insomnia, you sleep a little better at night when you have confidence that great people are doing great things that are aligned with your goals. 
So you bought 12 copies of this and sent it to your board as a preparation for the meeting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually did more than that. So we did buy copies of the book for everyone. And then we do a, an annual Caribbean cruise as a company. We bring uh, all the employees and we bring a guest speaker. We work hard and we play hard. And uh, Brad Hams was one of our uh, first crew guest speakers. And uh, we did a three-day seminar with him and the board was there. So we had... Uh, the entire company and the board all uh, sequestered on a ship in the middle of the ocean. And uh, we worked our way through it. And But he lays out very simple steps in the book on how to create the scorecard. Because you know it, if you're going to have the profit sharing plan, they have to understand it. Otherwise, you're just giving away money. And then you have to have the transparency. So you have to have this regular process. We do it weekly with the scorecard. So everybody is constantly aware of how we're doing. And then you have to have the engagement to where people are bringing the rips to the program because that's how you increase those bottom line dollars. Amazing. I want to touch on one point and you said it in one small sentence, but since I know you and your company now better than this just one interview is you said we, we work hard and we play hard. And I think that's a very, very important part of a healthy culture. And I definitely know it's a very big part of, of Seal Shield of it's not just about work. Like you need your employees to be happy. You need your employees to have fun. Otherwise, they're going to be miserable employees and hence they're going to be bad employees. And so I think figuring out that. So in addition to all the amazing things that you said, I know you guys invest time and thinking and money in just doing fun stuff. And you just mentioned one, but I don't know if I can mention it, but there was some kind of a big concert in Vegas a couple of weeks ago that you guys all went to. And, and I think it's a, it's a huge part of what this is, right? So the culture is not just about how do we get the bottom line higher. It's way more than that. It's how do we get the people to be better people and to be happier people? And that's what actually drives the bottom line. And I absolutely love it on how you were able to put all these things together. Two things before I let you go. One is recommendations. One book we already know, but other books, gizmos, widgets, software, uh, apps, stuff that you use that you think that is absolutely amazing that every manager, entrepreneur, or, or business person should know about? Well, I, I tell you, as part of my scorecard in the growth and development program, I've been reading a few books. And actually, we have a, a Seal Shield book club as well that, that I participate in. But the last two books I read are a couple of books. One is called A CEO Only Does Three Things by Trey Taylor, which I found interesting. And then a book I really enjoyed. So, so you stop. You stop doing all the rest. You know, just, you know, just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and for him, it's it's all about the the financials and the people and the processes, right? And 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 that really ties into the ownership thinking mentality. You know, you just need to make sure that the the ship is is on course and everybody's doing the role to make sure that that that, that stays sailing. That was a good book. And then a book that I read that was very timely for Seal Shield is. We look at other ways to grow the business, either through acquisition or acquiring other, com acquiring other companies or being acquired and joint ventures, opportunities like that. I read a book called um, Selling Without Selling Out by Sonny Vanderbeck. And I thought it was really one of the best books about selling your company or getting investment through private equity. Because what Sonny drives that in the book is what most entrepreneurs don't think about is the day after close. So you have all this process and all these uh, uh, initiatives and agendas to get to this close date. What happens the next day and why aren't more entrepreneurs thinking about this? You know, how is the company run after that? How are, how are, what is the outcome for the people 
that are important after that? And, and what is the outcome for the entrepreneur after that? And I just found it really thought provoking and a different way to look at it. We're all driving towards that liquidity event. It's, it really ties into ownership thinking culture when your focus is on the people and on creating, you know, our, we want to create a business that's going to be uh, sustainable for a hundred years and continue to make innovations and improvements and improve society. And so if you have that, that mindset that it's all about the people, it's about developing people, it's about being aligned, being in the same boat, then really the most important thing to think about in any type of capital raise is, well, then what? Right. And because, you bring in a capital partner, they have different agendas. We want to maintain our culture and our agenda. And I think that's something that many entrepreneurs could benefit from when they're looking at their liquidity event or their exit strategies. Yeah, but what next? And I found that interesting. Oh, right. If people want to find you, connect with you, connect with SealShield, how do they do that? So you can visit our website at sealshield.com and we are on all the major social media sites, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, we have a lot of great information to share about infection control products. And certainly if you're in healthcare or healthcare IT, you're probably already familiar with SealShield, but if you'd like to learn more, please stop by and see us. And if somebody wants to connect with you personally, LinkedIn, what's the best way to connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Any of that is great. And you can always get us live by calling 87SealShield. <laughs> Perfect. Brad, this was fascinating and fun and really educational. I learned a lot. I'm definitely going to implement some of these things in, in my company. I hope a lot of people take you. at least components out of that and implement it in their company. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Asar. It's been a, a lot of fun. Brilliant, right? Absolutely brilliant. It really shows that if you set up the right environment and bring in the right people, they will thrive and with it, the entire organization and the success of the business. And obviously the entire ecosystem benefits, including your clients and suppliers and so on from having the right culture and the right mindset within your organization. If you like additional episodes that kind of follow the same concepts of figuring out how to create the right culture in your company and how to attract the right talent, I suggest you scroll all the way back to episode 55 and listen to Chris Gannon in the interview that's called Hire Talent Based on Culture Fit and Create Successful Business. It's a fascinating interview that's going to address how you find those people that you can bring into your organization in order to create the right culture and how to nurture them so they would be happy to stay. And until next time, have an amazing week. Got your business growth is my number one priority in this podcast. To do that, I want to bring the biggest names that I can and get you practical tips as frequently as possible. And you can help. Visit Apple Podcasts right now, subscribe, download, rate, and review the podcast, and I would really appreciate it. And if you want my number one tip for business growth acceleration, visit growthaccelerator.biz right now. <laughs>